Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the tests of time? That's what we're here to find out. Last year, I fell in love with a short-lived Western called Frontier Gentleman, created, written, and produced by one of my all-time favorite radio artists, Anthony Ellis. When I brought an episode to the podcast, my co-hosts were unimpressed. Being the glutton for punishment that I am, I decided to give it another try. Frontier Gentleman told the story of J.B. Kendall, a British journalist who roamed the western United States in search of human interest stories. Ellis, an Englishman himself, combined his own experience as a stranger in a strange land with his love of American history to create what Radio Spirits described as a Western adventure drama featuring rich and detailed character studies, all of which were filtered through the series' main character, J.B. Kendall. Kendall was played by John Daner, an experienced radio actor who frequently appeared as a guest star or supporting character in programs like The Whistler, Escape, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, Gunsmoke, and more. In fact, we heard Daner just last week as the narrator in Zero Hour from Suspense. After Frontier Gentlemen, Daner was cast in the lead role of another Western radio series, Have Gun, Will Travel. Daner was joined on Frontier Gentlemen by a stellar supporting cast, including Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dobkin, Virginia Gregg, Stacey Harris, Joseph Kearns, Jack Crucian, Jeanette Nolan, and Vic Perrin. Sound effects were created by Tom Hanley and Bill James, who also provided soundscapes for Gunsmoke and Fort Laramie. The program's plaintive trumpet theme was composed by Jerry Goldsmith, who would go on to score Hollywood blockbusters like Planet of the Apes, Alien, Star Trek, and Poltergeist, just to name a few. And now, let's listen to The Powder River Kid from Frontier Gentlemen, first broadcast April 6th, 1958. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. There seem to be only two kinds of people in Montana Territory, the good and the bad. Sometimes it's hard to tell which is which. Frontier Gentlemen. with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now, starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. I was on my way back to Fort Benton on the Missouri River when I reached Helena. There, I was lucky enough to receive an offer of transportation in a wagon. So I sold my horse and we set out on the Mullen Road. My companion, or bullwhacker as he called himself, was a leathery, stringy chap who might have been 50 or 70. It was hard to tell. His name was George Scales, and he seemed more than happy to have someone to talk to. Yes, sir, I was one of the first out of the California gold rush. Went out with my father in 49. Now, how old did you figure I am, boy? Well, 58. I... 58. Wouldn't think it, would you? Well, Well, I... 58. Never had a sick day in my life. Been married three times, buried two. The third got took by Apaches down in Arizona territory. <laughs> I pitied the poor son of a gun Indian that hooked up with her. Boy, she was the meanest piece of calico you ever set eyes on. 
That was a lucky day for me. You, uh, are you married? No, You take no. my advice, boy. Uh, what'd you say your name was? Kendall. Kendall. You ain't kin to the Brown County, Texas Kendalls, are you? No. Well, come to think of it, their, their name wasn't Kendall, it was Pridgen. Now, how come you figure I misremembered that? What was we talking about? Well, I, I'm not, not quite sure. Well, now, now, you take my father. 86 years old, two weeks back. I'm taking him home to bury him. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, anything for sorrow. All got to go up Salt River sometime. Old buzzard's been out in California better than 30 years. That ain't no place for a man to sack his saddle, so last trip out, I said, Paul, I got to take you back to Kentucky, because when you bite the dust, it ain't fit to do it in this here place. That's what I said. I see. Well, we got us a place in Kentucky. Figure he ought to rest comfortable there. Well, did he die on the way, uh, on the way from California? <laughs> if he did, it's since you got on back in Helen, huh? <laughs> the old buzzard ain't dead yet. He's asleep in the wagon. Oh. Eats and sleeps. Ain't much else to do, I guess. <laughs> old buzzard, deep as a post. When he wakes up, you just say hello, smile at him, and he'll think that's just fine, just fine. <laughs> oh, you want a chaw? Uh, no, thank you. You don't talk much, do you? Um, no, I suppose not. What's your business? I'm a newspaper correspondent. Writer? Yes. Hmm. Newspaper feller, huh? Yes, that's right. Oh. Had me a run-in with one of your kind back in 62, maybe 63. I was a mule skinner with Major McCleave down in Apache country. You ever been down there? No. Mean, purely mean country. Ain't fitting for nothing. Hey. Sonny. <laughs> hey, the old buzzers woke up. Everything's fine, Pa. I'm hungry. Oh, you ain't never nothing but, Pa. Got a way to go yet, Pa. Hey, this here's Mr. Kendall. He got on in Helena. Uh, How do you do, Mr. Scale? <laughs> Don't matter what you say. Just talk and loud. Uh, yeah. I, uh... I understand you're going back to Kentucky. What is he saying? There's no telling. You go on back to sleep, you old buzzard. I'll tell you when it's time to eat. <laughs> He's going to do it. Guess he didn't like you. Oh? Paul meets a stranger, he'll talk your ear off. Talking this man I ever seen. If he don't take to you, he does what I tell him. Like as not, he'll keep his mouth shut now till you get off in Benton. I'm sorry. Oh, no cause, no cause, Mr. Man can't help what he is. I just hope you ain't like that sheep-killing dog of a newspaper feller I was telling you about. <laughs> I sure did sharpen my hoe on him. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever he did, I assure you, I'll be very careful not to make the same mistake. Newspaper feller. <laughs> At midday, we stopped for our meal. Scale, Sr., and Junior kept up an extraordinary conversation, during which time I was completely ignored. The pair reminded me a little of Dickensian characters, a certain gentleman and his aged parent. After his food, the aged parent clambered back into the wagon and presumably went back to sleep as we continued on our way. An offering of tobacco mellowed Scale somewhat, and I felt that possibly I might be forgiven for my my sin by association. It was late that afternoon when we saw the three riders. They were halted by the side of the road. If you know how to use that gun of yours, Kendall, you better be ready to reach. You think they're outlaws? Man's bone seasoned. He don't take chances. Not in these parts. Looks as though one of them is hurt. Well, that's a fact. And, well, I'll be a way belly stump sucker. <laughs> a woman. One's a woman. Look at that. If that don't beat all. Whoa! 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 Hey! Hey, you got trouble? Haven't got any medicines, have you? No, got some whiskey. It's my husband. He's hurt kind of bad. Well, it ain't nothing, I tell you, Dora. Just let me rest a while. We'll get on. You ain't gonna make it, Bill. Shut up. Mister... I'll buy your whiskey. That'll fix me. No such thing. It isn't whiskey you need. Either of you gents know about doctrine? No, ma'am. 
Well, I know a little, not much. Let him take a look, Bill. Jack, here, come on. Give him a hand, Dad. You know, Kendall, I got a feeling I know that fella. I seen him, but I ain't sure where. Why don't you bring the whiskey out, Mr. Scales? He looks as if he can use it. All right. Here, get your jacket off, Easy, Bill. Easy, woman, now take it. Easy. Oh, man, that sure looks wicked. You better sit down. There's a rock over there. Yeah. Come along. Ah. When did it happen? Three days ago. Did you get the bullet out? No. I'm all right, I tell you. Just let me rest. You're not all right. That's gangrene, the shoulder and arm. There's a doctor in Helena. It won't take you more than three hours to get we there. We ain't going to Helena, mister. We're going to Fort Benton. But that's over 100 miles. You've already got a fever. If I were you, you I'd... You ain't me. Oh, Bill, he's right. Now, please, let's go back. No. I think I could remove the bullet, but that won't help. You ain't no doctor. Hey, pour some of this panther juice in your gizzard. Cure everything from the rattles to... No. Ain't gonna cure that. Give me the bottle. Take it. Good big slug, Bill. Hey, don't I know him someplace? Not likely to, mister. I ain't never forgot a face. I swear I seen his. Mind if I ask your name? I'm obliged for your whiskey. We'll be moving on. Oh, Bill, what good is it gonna be? You're sick. You can't ride all that way. I do like he says. Dora, you heard what I said. Come on. Oh, Bill! He'd fainted. We carried him to the wagon, put him inside. The aged parent woke up, smiled pleasantly at the newcomers, and watched with interest as the wife and the one called Jack did what they could to make the wounded man comfortable. I felt a tug at my sleeve. Scales drew me away from the wagon. I know him, I remember. I know who he is. I'll never forget a man's face. Only difference now, he ain't got that mustache he used to wear. The Powder River Kid, Bill Logan, that's who. Uh-huh. Oh, ain't you got no savvy? The Powder River Kid. He's wanted in more territories than even the James boys. Well, I've seen the posters. There's $2,000 reward for him, dead or alive. Well, what do you say? Make pretty good sharing, huh? Muy dinero, thousand for you, thousand for me. Of course, his wife and his friend might have something to say about that. Then we shoot him. Sure, shoot him now, and then we take the kid on into Benton and collect. I don't think he'll live that long, not without a doctor. Who's talking about alive? Posters say live or dead. Come to think of it, we would be better off if we shot him. Might save a sack full of trouble. I seen him draw once, down in Virginia City it was. He fanned two men down so quick he had his gun back in the holster before they hit the ground. Mister? Yes, coming. Hey, other fellas getting out of the wagon, too. We gonna kill him? No. He's still unconscious. Mister, you said you could take out the bullet. Maybe it'd do some good. There's too much poison. He's got one chance, and that's to take him back to Helena. This your wagon, Mr. Kendall? No, ma'am, it's mine, George Scales. Mr. Scales, I'll pay you $200 if you'll turn around. Take us back to Helena. Well, now, that's a mighty attractive offer. I don't know, Dory. Bill said... I don't care what he said. Right now, he's dying. No, I ain't. Mister, my wife offers you 200 to take me back to Helena. You let me rest a while in your wagon till I'm fit to ride the other way. I'll make it 300 that's fair. Yes, sir, that's a fair deal. <laughs> I'll do that. Make yourself to home. The old buzzard's my paw. If he talks at you too much, just better good and loud. Go to sleep, you old buzzard. You ride in here with me, Dory. Jack, stay on your horse. Sure, Bill. Just take it easy. All right, boys, let's bamboos. <laughs> Getting some rain by and by. Yes. Might be an idea to camp pretty soon. <laughs> Bet the Powder River kid thinks so. This trail ain't the softest. Hey, how long you figured till he hangs up his hat? I don't know. But I wouldn't worry about it. I ain't worrying. We're doing some thinking. How come you suppose he don't want to go back to Helena? Somebody's after him, I imagine. That's my guess. If somebody's a U.S. Marshal and that Marshal finds him before the kid dies, you figure maybe we'll have to cut another share on the reward? A 
fine legal point. Well, I ain't gonna worry. Dark coming on. Hey, it's a likely looking clearing up the road. Yeah, I gotta feed the old buzzard. After the supper, I walked away from the camp to a rise overlooking the Missouri. There were flashes of lightning in the east, and you could see the outline of heavy black clouds. But there hadn't been any rain yet. I stood for about ten minutes, smoking my pipe. Then I heard steps behind me. Scales said you came up this way. How's your husband? Oh, I think the fever is worse. Will he make it? I'm not a doctor. You don't have to be. You should have gone back to Helena. He couldn't. He was afraid to. Scales knows who he is, doesn't he? You know. Yes. There's been a marshal trailing us for six months. He caught up with Bill and Helena. My brother Jack helped him get away, and we hid out in town for three days. Well, why didn't you get a doctor? Oh, he wouldn't let us. There's a reward. Bill was afraid a doctor would try and collect. Just like your friend wants to. <laughs> he is pretty obvious, isn't he? Oh, man's luck runs out. Coyotes started snapping for the leavings. Me and Bill was on our way to Benton before the marshal caught up with him. We figured on going back east. Were you and your brother both working with Logan? No. And Bill hasn't done anything wrong since we was married. Mr. Kendall, I'll tell you a straight thing. I haven't been what a man like you'd call a decent woman. Most of my life, I, I've been a wild one. But not since Bill... I wish I could help Mrs. Logan. I... I really come to ask you to... I... I saw it done once before with a man's leg that got like Bill's arm. They cut it off. Yes, I had thought of that. It's too late. The poison's in his shoulder. It wouldn't do any good. I'm sorry. A preacher out in Utah married us. He'd never heard of the Powder River Kid. He thought we was nice folks. Well, I... I better get back to the camp. I went with her. Jack was with Logan in the wagon. Scale's father was sitting on his haunches by the campfire sucking on a piece of root candy and whittling a sliver of wood. He rocked back and forth, humming to himself. Scales leaned against a tree, ruminating on a piece of tobacco. He beckoned to me. What'd she want? She wanted me to cut off his arm. That's a woman for you. You aim to do it? No, it wouldn't do any good. Probably kill him. You sure wouldn't think he was a gunslinger, would you? Not now, you wouldn't. <laughs> Sick and whimpering like a dying pup. You think we could go on tonight? Not on this trail. With the rain's coming, no, sir. Besides, the old buzzard don't like traveling in the dark. Yeah, I hope he don't keep that up all night. None of us will get any shut-eye. Ah. Oh, now lie back. Ah. Lie back, honey. It'll be better. Anything I can do, Jack? No. no. He's sick to the head right now. Don't Dory. even know Dory. Honey, don't. Dory says you know about us. We figured so. I think you're all right, Kendall. My sister does, too. But I want to tell you not to start thinking about that reward. A few minutes later, it began to rain and continued intermittently all through the night. But the dawn was clear and bright. It took the combined efforts of oxen, horses, and men to take the wagon back onto the trail. The wheels had sunk nearly hub-deep in mud. But as the sun rose, we were on our way northward again. 
Bill Logan was no longer delirious, but in the grayness of his face, I knew that he didn't have long to live. It was during the early afternoon that his wife called out to me. Mr. Kendall? Yes? Will you come back a minute? All right. Maybe he's dead, huh? Maybe. He wants to talk to you. Sorry, go on up with that bullwhacker. What I got to say is private. Make him stay quiet. Come on over closer, will you? Is the old man asleep? Uh, yes. Now listen, I'm finished. I... Ain't a doctor, nothing gonna help me now. I feel it. Now, I never asked a favor. No man in my life, I'm asking one now. What is it? There's a reward for me. It ain't much, only 2,000, but it means something for Dory. I ain't gonna pay no reward for a man that's died natural-like. Or if they do like us, not go to that Marshall fellow for starting me off. I want you to fix it so Dory can get it. Well, how? You fill me full of lead. Shoot you? Yeah, shoot me. No. I trust you. You see, I, I trust you to give the money to Dory. Oh, you're out of your head. No, 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 mister. I ain't last night, but not now. It's the best I can do for her. She's a good woman. Now, let me give her something so she don't have to go back to what she was. I can't kill you. You got a right to... Look, I'm wanted, Kendall. I've done more killings than I can remember. It ain't a wrong thing for you to do. You could say I was trying to escape. No, I can't. If not drawn, it doesn't make any difference. We both know you wouldn't shoot. I'm sorry. I don't think he felt very much pain after that. He just drank Scales whiskey and talked quietly to his wife. He died just before the sun went down. Well, I guess he's dead now. I think so. You figure she'll want to take him into Benton or bury him out here? I don't know. Sure does seem a shame and a sin to see that reward go up in smoke. Perhaps it doesn't have to... How do you mean? How come? I could ride back to Helena. Wouldn't take more than a few hours. What good did that do? Well, I'd take him back with me. Yeah? All you have to do is to see that they don't try to stop me. Listen, boy, for a thousand dollars, nobody's going to stop you. The old buzzard's still spry enough to hold a gun. I just have to tell him who to point it at is all. Hey, uh, <clears throat> how do I know you come back? Well, I imagine you'll just have to take my word for it. Hmm. He never trusted a newspaper feller yet, but I guess there ain't no choice. I give you my word of honor. I'll come back. All right. Oh, courage in there, too. Why, well, ain't gonna be nothing to it. All right, Curry, you keep your hands high. Both of you get over to the other side of the wagon. The Powder River kid's going back to Helena. Scales shouted instructions to his father, who disarmed the dead man and Curry, then held a gun steady, a smile on his old face, head nodding approvingly. I took Logan's body out of the wagon and tied it onto a horse. Just before I rode away, I saw Mrs. Logan watching me, crying, a soundless, terrible cry. I must have traveled ten miles in the night before I found the courage to, to do what I had to do. I led the horses off the road, tethered them, and took down Logan's body. He looked peaceful. Give me Logan. I delivered the body to the marshal in Helena. 
and collected $2,000 reward for the capture and killing of Bill Logan, alias the Powder River Kid. Then I took the horses and rode back to where I'd left the wagon. Did you get it, boy? Did you get the money? I got it. One of these days, I'm going to catch up with you, mister. Get on your horse. You too, Mrs. Logan. Go on. One of these days... <laughs> that was fine, boy. Fine. Now, come on. Let's divvy up. Afraid not, Mr. Scales. I've got some bad news for you. You are getting nothing. What? Exactly. Drop your gun or the old buzzard's going to lose his son. Oh. I might have known, just like the other one, a stinking, no good, low down paper scales. It's been a most unpleasant association. I took Logan's horse and caught up with Mrs. Logan and her brother a little further along the Mullen Road. I gave her the $2,000, and together we rode on into Fort Benton, Montana Territory. Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Joe Kearns, Paula Winslow, Larry Dobkin, Barney Phillips, and Robert Rudier. Music was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Join us again next week for another report from the Frontier Gentlemen. John Wall speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. That was the Powder River Kid from Frontier Gentlemen here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Joshua brought another Frontier Gentleman to the table. And as he pointed out in the introduction, uh, nothing Tim and I suggested that he do. (laughs) (laughs) But he went ahead anyway. Um, You kind of touched on it in the beginning, Joshua. Uh, are you hell-bent in making us, uh, like, you're like, I'm bringing it again. I'm going to prove to you guys <laughs> that you don't get this. Is that what this is about? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't want to outright say, because if you wanted me to stop bringing these episodes, all you have to do is pretend to love this up and down. <laughs> no, it's good. <laughs> well... You'll be happy with you uh, forcing this down my throat again. (laughs) Why this particular one to the table, this episode of Frontier Gentlemen? What is it about it? I'm assuming you like it. It's the next one. Right. (laughs) I do like it a lot. It has some of the things I think you guys didn't like about the previous one I brought, the Honky Tonkers, as in it's a slower-paced Western. There's a lot of time spent rendering character before it gets into the conflict, but I feel that the character development adds to the tension uh, once we discover what that conflict is. So it pays off, I think. Agree. I, I It's a slow burn. <sighs> this is just people talking and <laughs> some wacky characters here and there, and they're just talking and they're just, it's like, a fly on the wall kind of thing. Like these are just people having a normal yeah, day. This is a days long road trip to Butte, right? <laughs> and that's the other thing. I like this slower pace in westerns because it does reflect the slower pace, the pace of life. Then. Yep. And but you're absolutely right. Is you know because I say to myself, well, this is either going to be worthless or it's going to pay off. And at the end, when you go back, the development of those relationships their conversations, their revelations of who they are, why they are, what makes them tick, all plays into the climax. 
and I think beautifully so. Uh, as you know, I want to get to the castle. I want some car chase scenes and some things of that nature. Uh, this, however, made for a very, I won't say suspenseful, but an interesting moral dilemma tale, if that's an actual genre, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, uh, an Aesop fable? No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just to jump right into that, the first thought in my head, and I know it's at the end, it's pretty gruesome to listen to him kill him. Well, not kill him. I mean, shoot the dead body. Uh, but I think that in itself was hard to listen to and difficult because we were invested because of how it was written, because of the journey that it took us along that when he pulls the trigger on the dead guy and says, he's sorry. And all of that, that you're not like, yeah, yeah. saw it coming. Let's go. You're like, Oh man, that's, that's rough. And I will also say that, thank God there are no forensics back then because, uh, (laughs) like this wound is not bleeding. (laughs) There's a post-mortem injury. I'm pretty sure by the bruises on this body that it was laying down for hours and he was shot in the back (laughs) while on the ground. But there is an added bit of tragedy, I think, to that scene. And I think part of the reason he says he's sorry is not because he is somehow disturbing the dead by shooting this body. I think it's that a part of him feels that he should have done this when the Powder River Kid was alive in that the Powder River Kid dies never knowing that his Mm, wife is going to get this money. Kendall couldn't bring himself to do it um, until he was already dead. Or at what point do you just, I'm just going to pistol whip this guy unconscious and drag him back to a doctor. There's a little tension there in that we have the brother. And that's the sole purpose the brother plays in the script is to be a balancing force, uh, right? Because the decision to overpower the Powder River kid would be a lot easier easier without him. Um, My uh, broad reaction, I had more enjoyment going into this knowing what the shtick of Frontier Gentleman was, uh, and the structure is probably the kinder way to say it, uh, of you establish an environment, some characters, a tone... And then that situation, those characters come to a crossroads and something changes and you have to get, they get revealed for who they truly are. And that particularly in this episode, I, I, I like it. This works and it's uh, interesting to watch and see how it all unfolds and it's done very well. I still stand by uh, old Tim who felt like the honky-tonkers, the tone that started out with, it felt more like an interruption than a, uh, of that story and that tone than it was a revealing of these characters so I think this is a better episode than that one. Hands down, I wish this would have been brought to the table first. I enjoyed this much more than Let's not relitigate the honky-tonkers. <laughs> that is an episode of Law & Order. If I'm going to say, like, you're right, this is a good episode, I don't want to give too much to yes, you. Yes, you want to say, you're right after being so wrong, yes, finally. That's, that's what I want to say. Like, <laughs> you fixed your previous error. Uh yeah, it's an interesting thing, though. You have not hooked me to say, great, I'm going to throw some more of these on. You hooked me enough to say, oh, you brought a crappy episode of this. <laughs> and now you brought a well-done episode. So this, this is our way of saying, thank you for bringing this episode we enjoyed so much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and this is why I brought the Honky Tonkers uh, to begin with. I love this series for... The character of J.B. Kendall, he is this anchor, and then because they have this strong anchor of a character, they take a lot of risks in the storytelling. And so I really enjoy that you don't know what you're going to get every episode. And and Mm -hmm. I don't think it's so much that the last one was a bad one and this was a good one. I think you're wrong about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As it's an incredibly varied Series and right. so they're, they are very different. Interesting that you say that though, because uh, particularly this first part, I, I thought like these performances are amazing, and the the foley, the the wagon going that that whole time, like this is all a great production with great performances and good job. But Kendall, in particularly thought like, but he's kind of a cipher. He he's he's not doing a whole lot. He's just you know the audience reaction character. Uh, I guess I when I say the character, I probably mean John Daner. He has this authority. 
he has virtue without being uh, like a square jawed good guy character. Uh, I think if you hadn't listened to any other episodes and had just dipped into this one, I'm not sure you would have necessarily, by the way Daner plays it, have known 100% that he wasn't going to take that money. And I, I should also clarify that I meant that like the first half of the episode before they meet the Powder River Kid, that establishment of what this story is anchored in. He's such an outsider, and that's part of what I find his character interesting. And so, yes, he is occasionally a cipher, but I think that's what's fascinating in that it allowed both now as well as in 1950, whatever, when it was written uh, for an audience who was a contemporary audience to relate to the whether it be the wacky characters of the West or the awful, evil characters of the West. And in other areas, a little like science fiction, um, it allowed them to explore what in the 50s were more sensitive areas about uh, relationships with Native Americans, with um, Mm -hmm. even some stuff. There's an episode about the first female marshal or judge, I can't remember. Um, And whether it's based in historical fact or is fictionalized it still it makes for interesting listening throughout every episode you're not sure what exactly kind of story he's going to tell it's a little like nightbeat i think i said that last episode it's the wild west version of nightbeat yeah and i will say just for my own personal tastes if like if there's a whole series based on that guy's old grandpappy like i, I could listen to that guy Ramble in the Gibber. background. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like he makes everything better. Uh, this one has a special place in my heart because uh, the Dickens reference is from Great Expectations, my favorite. And I, the aged P in that book is this lovable, warm character, and so is his son. So to make them these really <laughs> awful characters uh, is a fun subversion from the book. I just kept picturing Popeye's dad. (laughs) (laughs) Poop Deck Pete, is that who that is? Huh, I don't know. I think you just made up the sentence Poop Deck Pete. (laughs) You just wanted to say poop on our podcast. Thank God that we have mic covers. That's a lot of P words. (laughs) A lot of plosives. (laughs) Is that plosives Deck Pete? (laughs) Pappy. Pappy. Wasn't it Pappy? (sighs) We've really Oh, he's so mad. <laughs> we're going to talk about Popeye. No, I expected no more from him. <laughs> uh, there are some great comic moments in this, particularly to me from uh, George Scales, the bullwhacker, particularly the, the line uh, right when they found the Powder River Kid, and uh, he comes out and says, here, pour some of this panther juice in your gizzard, cures everything from the rattles to, oh, oh it won't cure that. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> There's no sensitivity, just looks at the gangrene. and Yeah, you look, oh, Never yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah. You're going to die. <laughs> I also found it interesting how fast that we became empathetic toward Powder River Kid and his wife mm-hmm. and actually how fast you end up rooting for his survival perhaps and it's interesting because he is an outlaw and a bad guy but we're at that point in their life where they're in regret <laughs> you know they're a hundred percent in regret over choices they've made and are different people than they probably were a week yeah, ago. Yeah. And part of me is like, it just just go back, face the consequences, see a doctor, live. Right. But uh, else, like, and that's the end of their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. Joshua, I, you're good at this and you always do it. What is $2,000 in today's money? <laughs> That I you didn't, didn't look do it. Up. No, you always look it up. Just make up a number. It's one million, one trillion dollars, <laughs> two thousand sixteen dollars. It's amazing. <laughs> but I do think that's what adds richness to this script is this notion of how to tell the good from the bad, mm-hmm. and how subjective that is. And like Eric was saying, based on our experience in the script, we're really rooting for the Powder River Kid and his wife, because we never got to experience their evil, the the bad things they did. And then his wife even underscores that at one point when she says the preacher who married them didn't know their past. And uh, 
thought they were really nice folks, she says very sadly. And and you and do when too. Powder River Kid is asking, like, shoot me. It's like, I've heard a lot of people. There's a lot of people out in the world who would be happy to shoot me. Yep. And so he was trying to convince yeah. Kendall that it would be a just thing to do. Not just justice for his wife, but justice for the people he had killed. Yeah, he didn't need to rack himself with guilt over it. And I think that's part of the reason he does say, I'm sorry, when he shoots him. He may have declined to shoot him selfishly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which, yeah. Yeah, that's not, not crazy. Right. I wouldn't have shot him either. But the Powder River Kid's concern is a, a dark one. The implication being that his wife was a prostitute. Because he oh, says, yeah, uh, it seems pretty. she'll go back to her old ways. She was ways. a wild woman. Yes. Yeah. And so... Yeah, 2000 bucks. Make... she's good for two, three months. <laughs> <laughs> But he had he apparently died worrying about that. So yep. that's sad. That's <laughs> sad. Well, he also died worrying about gangrene. On the other hand, uh, Kendall did give them more time together because after he makes that decision, that's they, true. He does describe that uh, he mostly felt no pain by then, and he spent the last little bit of time he had just talking to his wife. There's a part of me that thinks. This isn't commentary on the writing or the script or anything. Just in general, in that situation, but he probably should have come back and said, listen, here's the reward money. I'm taking 200 You and Popeye's dad, <laughs> you're taking a couple hundred bucks, and then you take the rest. I think that they all were invested enough at that point that everybody should have got a little sum of that. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like Kendall didn't get anything out of this deal. He got a horse. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like I'm stuck on this eight-year-long journey across Montana, or I can get on a horse and do it in a couple hours, which that's still kind of like, how how much faster is a horse? But Uh, but he sold his horse at the top to take this uh, route, so there might have been some reason, or he didn't want to be literally and figuratively saddled with a horse (laughs) later, (laughs) Uh, because this does follow him moving from town to town to uh, get stories horse would settle down there and didn't want to move uh in general is this series is he going somewhere in particular i mean is this a story of like on my way to san francisco <laughs> this is all the things that happened to me is there some kind of or is he just was, going from town to town in in my way trying to like how does he send his stories to that london paper does he mail them does he send a very long telegram <laughs> or telegraph telegraph yeah 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 I would assume they would be sent on a like ship pony, of some kind. Pony Express kind of... I, I have a bias thing. But all mail gets lost in the Old West. <laughs> yep. It's probably not true. Think of the crossed fingers of ganning a guy in an envelope in Montana. Yeah. And saying, get this to London. <laughs> yeah, it's news. Publish this as soon as possible. Who's the comedian that went up to... This is so long ago, but when the stamp went up to 32 cents and people were losing their mind, and so what was that, 30 years ago? But then he said, let me just make one thing clear. You put a thing in a box outside your house, and some guy picks it up and takes it anywhere in the world you want for 32 cents. Get over it. Well, also... News traveled really slower, which just means news traveled really slowly. Yep. There wasn't the demand for uh, right. something being instantaneous. And you'd, it, you'd celebrate who was president and not knowing that he wasn't president anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Hooray, William Henry Henderson. That's not a president. <laughs> William Henry Henderson. <laughs> William Henry Harrison. I believe is a song. No, Harrison is the right hand. I said Henderson. Nobody's named Henderson. <laughs> That's a really good episode. Thanks for bringing it, Joshua. <laughs> I think that's Popeye's dad's name. Yeah, that's right. Henderson. You guys are so wrong for not thoroughly loving this series entirely, but that's fine. Well, here's the deal. Bring another one, because I tell you what, if you go two or three, I'm on board. Oh, I can probably cherry pick more that you would like, but yeah. I could also bring ones that you would overturn this table if <laughs> I made you listen to it. <laughs> I guarantee it. Listen, I'm the guy that brought the Sears Radio Theater. I have one coming. That's true. <laughs> Thank heavens I've never brought any stinkers. <laughs> I uh, Last point I want to make about this is 
I liked that uh, George Scales had this distrust of newspaper men. And this theme throughout was that there were good people and bad people, and how do you tell the difference? And you have this parallel story going where Scales' preconceived notion about newspaper men being awful turns out to be vindicated. So there's so yes. this other story right. running behind it that the aged P was right, and uh, so is George Scales. And so they're going to go on living their life um, in their own little petty, nasty way, thinking all their biases have been proven right. I like that the, in the describing scales at the very opening of like, he's somewhere between 50 and 80. <laughs> and then you find out his age is 58. It's like, oh, that's 58 yeah. hard years you've had there, sir. And then I also go, I'm 58. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do I? I'm old. <laughs> Plus all the chewing tobacco and the uh, old west yeah. stuff. Yeah. At least your daughter isn't driving you somewhere alive to bury you. Right. <laughs> Solid point. <laughs> that was a great moment. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, yeah, he's still alive. He's in the back. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we vote on it? Sure. Okie dokie. I will say that um, it stands the test of time. I think it's really well-performed, well-directed, well-produced, well-written. Uh, I won't call it a classic of old-time radio drama. I'm getting more and more specific about that classic thing because uh, I think that, for me, the classic moniker has got to be something that gets attached to that top 25, you know, for me, that's uh, anyway, you know. almost 300 in, so right, yeah. But and you've a- given about 200 of them classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, it was the entire series of City of the Dead, so that's <laughs> 15 of them. Uh, Stan's Test Time, really well done, really liked it, and uh, a great piece of uh, audio drama. Yeah, I'm biased, I obviously think it's a a really wonderful production. I really, as I already said, love John Daner. He just has this commanding presence, um, but he can also be really nuanced uh, when he wants to be. And um, uh, this episode, like the series as a whole, manages, I think, really well to move between dark comedy and tragedy and and also moments of suspense. I know Eric said earlier he didn't think it was very suspenseful, but I think it has some nice moments of suspense, particularly in the about midway through when you know all these different peoples with, with all these different motives and you just don't know which way it's going to go. Um, is it nail-biting? No. Uh, but right. I definitely think it has its moments of suspense. Yeah, let me qualify that by saying that, yes, it has its moments of suspense. It's not When I say it's not very suspenseful, it's not really suspenseful it's you fell into my trap i needed you to go back and <laughs> take some of that back any other fish in that barrel you want to shoot no. uh getting me no, to backtrack it's not an all-time radio classic but i think it is definitely stands the test of time the themes of of culpability and redemption those are timeless particularly in the context of westerns and um i think it's just a another great installment from this great series. <laughs> I'm largely on the same uh, page as, as you both there, but I think it's an excellent episode. Um, stands the test of time, certainly. It is interesting to me in that uh, this is a script that is an excellent script, but it, it relies on the fact that the performances are going to be compelling. It is taking it on faith that these actors can fill all this space and all this time with um, broad characters, yeah, subtle characters, whatever, you know, whichever way they fall in the script, but they're all fascinating to listen to and learn about. Yeah, I think it's a great point, Tim. Of there's some broad farce characters going on in this, and some people rooted in a very real performance. And, you know? and both. I mean, the, yeah, but I'm just saying it's interesting how you can have that dichotomy, that difference of performance style yeah, and, and it uh, works like in a setting that is like it, this is very few characters in a wagon and yeah. there's different genres beat by beat yeah yeah there's different genres of acting and performance going on but it works unlike star trek next generation <laughs> <laughs> which everybody's doing their own show Better than Star Trek The Next Generation, if, raves Eric. If, <laughs> if Jean-Luc Picard was more like Scales. Right. 
Engage. <laughs> Make it soap. <laughs> Panther juice hot. <laughs> Panther juice hot. Damn it. It was the third one that was the good yeah. one. All right, Jim, tell them stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You can uh, leave comments. Let, let us know what you think. You can vote in polls. You can send us messages. If you have episodes you'd like us to listen to, you can let us know. We'll get there eventually. We've got a very long list, but we plow through it. Uh, you can also link to our social media pages. You can link to our Threadless store and buy some swag. Who doesn't like swag? I like swag. Uh, and you can also go to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We have all sorts of fabulous rewards for listeners who support this podcast. I mean, the biggest reward is that we will keep doing this podcast as long as you support it. But there are also bonus peripheral rewards, extra podcasts, Zoom happy hours, uh, Zoom book club, uh, buttons, membership cards for impressing your friends. Um, yes. And if you don't have the funds to support us on a monthly basis, uh, we are looking for some one-time single donations uh, right now. There is a button you can click on ghoulishdelights.com and give us a donation. We are trying to raise a couple... some money. Let's just say that. We won't stop you. Uh, for a new computer, uh, it took us about an hour and a half today to set up to, to record this podcast, and we are in need of some new technology. So uh, if that seems like a better way to support the podcast than becoming a patron, that's great. If you're already a patron and you'd like to help us out with the computer, that's great. Just help us out. We need some new equipment. We really do. If you'd like to see us performing live, the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society Theater Company does monthly and sometimes twice monthly performances of old-time radio drama classics and a lot of our own original work live on stage. You can find out where we're performing, when we're performing, and how to get tickets by going to MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com or even quicker, ghoulishdelights.com. Links to what we're performing this month and where and how to get tickets are all there. And if you'd like to see it and you can't make uh, uh, it to one of our performances, if you're a Patreon, we do record and film our uh, performances, and those are part of your Patreon package, being able to watch those live shows. Hey, what's coming up next? Uh, up next is me. I'm revisiting Vanishing Point with an episode entitled Split Second. Until then. Look out! Oh, I'm Popeye's poop-dick for me. Oh, she goes and never gun. From old Algiers to old Shanghai. Oh, she goes and never gun. Am I Popeye's poop-dick for me? Ahoy, ahoy, ahoy. In building boats, I'm never wrong. I built a million short and long. I'm 99 and plenty tough. Ahoy, ahoy, ahoy. <laughs> <laughs>